Well, the Lord be with you. Dear Lord God, thank you. We thank you and praise you for the gift of your son, Jesus. And even now, while we study one of these hymns of praise in his honor, would you give us eyes to see him as he really is, Um, eyes to see him as the king, the judge eternal, who has made atonement for us. So we give you thanks and praise for all that you've done for us in him. And we ask that you would bless this time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can see, did you did you notice that song that we sang this Sunday? Did you know just now, if you've already been to worship, but you know, if you've been to the 9 o'clock, was there a hymn that maybe you're less familiar with? I know O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I could sing that all day long. I used to sing it to my nieces and nephews to make them go to sleep. Um, there's Loki Comes with Clouds Descending, which we looked at last week. We also, what else did we hear this Sunday, just now? What else did we sing? Do you remember? Yeah, I'm really testing you. It's okay. We sing, Heart, a thrilling voice is sounding. Do you know that one? I don't, I didn't know it very well until beginning to study it a little bit more for this. Let's just see here, I've, to refresh our memories. Hang on just one sec. Hark a thrilling voice is sounding we sang right after I preached. Yeah, so These are just not up. The number was not on the board. Yeah. That I, that's what yes. it was, Judy. You're right. I, I, we I turned to page 56 and I finally at the very end. Did you realize? I realized. I know it's too bad. Let's see. Okay. Excuse me. Not this movie. If I press backspace, it does something I don't want it to do, so excuse me for that. And it was loud, but now here we go.
I'm sorry about that. Anything you notice when you hear this um, hymn again? We just heard it if you're at the 9 o'clock, but anything you notice when we hear it again? Is it, com- is it complicated to I sing? I said amazing congregation. I know, they were all really singing it. It was kind of cool. Yeah. That's why I always encourage people to sing out. We have such a good choir that sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't need to sing out. Um, they've got it covered, but there's great joy in singing out ourselves. There's something about proclaiming in song the truth of the gospel. And so that's one of the reasons why I've chosen to do a series of four different hymns or carols this Advent. So last week we looked at Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. And next week we'll look at Come, Thou Long Expected Jesus. And then we'll look at a Christmas carol the fourth week of Advent, even though it's early, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Well, this particular hymn um, was, we think that the words, the words were anonymous. They're very early on from the, do you see that? From the 6th century. And we know that they were translated from the Latin by Edward Caswell, along with others have done different English translations. But we think that the the actual text might have been attributed to St. Ambrose very early on, only in the 500s AD, which is kind of incredible to think about um, the gospel being proclaimed um, even that early on. But of course, all throughout the centuries of the church, the gospel has been proclaimed. So the tune is Merton. I'm not, I won't comment on the tune because I don't know anything about it, except it's pretty. But there was one source that says that there's an early attestation that maybe he wrote it because he wrote some other hymns and they think it was generated around the same time and in the same area. Um, so when you get kind of back there into what's called the Dark Ages, if you see someone producing a lot of theological works or other hymns or things like that, you tend to say, well, maybe this guy did it, you know, composed this hymn because he was composing other things at the same time. Does that help? But we don't really know. But I put it forward because it's kind of cool. With Ambrose, it's cool. So maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Unfortunately, we just don't know. But in the final form, we can enjoy it. So here um, in this first voice verse, hark a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is nigh, it seems to say. Cast away the works of darkness, O ye children of the day. There is this idea, um, in Advent we celebrate both the first, we prepare to celebrate the first coming of Jesus, and we recognize that we as Christians are an Advent people, awaiting and trusting that Jesus, who came once as the baby in Bethlehem, will come again. He is the king born in the stable. Remember that the three magi come looking for him, and they go to Herod first. They go to the palace of the king to find the newborn baby king. And they end up having to follow the star to Bethlehem because King Jesus was not born in a palace in pomp and circumstance. No, he was born in lowliness and weakness um, in Bethlehem in, um, and placed in the manger of uh, the feeding trough of uh, an animal. So Jesus in his first coming comes in humility, comes in weakness. As, John, as he says in John's Gospel, I did not come to judge the world, but he comes in his first coming to atone for the sins of the world. Um, in John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that all that believe in him might have everlasting life through faith in his name. That was a bad paraphrase. Please don't judge me. My camp counselors will judge me for not memorizing it perfectly. But Jesus comes first to atone for guilt and to save us in our sins. And you see all throughout John's gospel in particular that he is coaxing and wooing people 
into faith in Him because there's a time and a period during this life when we can put our trust in Him. Um, so this, we'll see this period of um, His um, first coming, during the period between His first coming and His second coming, we have an opportunity to put our trust in Him, to be saved by Him so that when He comes again in power and great glory to judge all the inhabitants of the earth throughout time and space, we might not be judged for our sins, we not, might not be given um, the weight, the consequences of our sin would not be put upon us eternally, but rather that we would be freed from that condemnation, saved, and then preserved for eternal life in worshiping Jesus our Lord. So this first coming and this second coming, so this, this voice, hark this thrilling voice is sounding, is talking about the coming of Jesus Christ the second time. In Advent, we, again, prepare to celebrate the first coming, but he's coming a second time. And throughout the book of Revelation, we see that his second coming will be marked by loud sounds, the loud sound of trumpets. Everyone will see and know. The disciples of Jesus ask him in his ministry, they say, um, what will it be like when the Son of Man comes in glory? And he says, it will be like a corpse in all the vultures gathering in the sky. You'll be able to look to the sky and see that's it. That's Jesus. Jesus has come. It, there will be no question about did he come or did he not come. His first coming is veiled in mystery, revealed to a few. His second coming will be known for all the world to see him as he is. And it will be marked by this sound of a trumpet. Um, and here it's marked by a, a voice saying, Christ is nigh. And this is the voice, too, in the first coming of Jesus. This is marked by the voice of John the Baptist. Remember that he called people to repentance. He called the Jewish people to undergo baptism. And baptism was a sign of re-entry into the people of God. Um, for the people of Israel, if you were not a Jewish person, you could be, um, become a Jewish person. It was actually much easier for adult women to become Jews than for adult men. For adult men, it um, they were required to be circumcised and baptized. Adult women could be just baptized and received into the people of Israel. And so this baptism marks this cleansing from the world and um, entry into the people of God. And so John the Baptist preached this baptism of repentance. He, it was like he was saying to good, devout Jews, you, even you, need to be baptized again. And that's a word for us. Um, you, even you, need to humble yourselves. And that in that humility and in that repentance, God receives us based on the merits of his son and um, holds, withholds from us the consequences of our own actions. And so this casting away of the works of darkness is a clarion call to obey the command of God to be holy like he is holy. This is a hard command. Did you hear that too in what I preached today that the the um, call to the life of a Christian disciple is not necessarily an easy call. Have any of you, like me, contemplated the call of the um, Christian faith and said, I don't know that I could reorganize my priorities. I held off for a long time until I was 13. Having grown up in a very um, strong Christian home, I held off because I knew that it would change my priorities. I knew that I couldn't live the way I might want to live in my own selfishness. Um, if I were to obey the call to come and follow Jesus. So this call requires this turning away from sin, turning away from selfishness, and um, it brings about repentance. 
And this call, casting away the works of darkness, O ye children of the day. This is a call that's found in the New Testament in Paul's letters. Um, and we see it um, we see it in Romans, first of all. This idea of the time is coming. The time is coming when Christ will return. Does someone want to read these verses from Romans chapter 13? Can you see it? Anyone? Can you see it? Anyone want to read? I'm, just, I'm talking a lot today. Spare my voice. Someone Beside else. Beside this, you know what hour it is. How it is full time now for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Twelve the night. Yeah, that's good. Twelve the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Thirteen. Uh, all right. Let us conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness not in debauchery and assiduousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thank you. Paul is talking to believers in Jesus, believers in Jesus who are not perfect like you, not perfect like me, and calling us to a different kind of lifestyle calling us to be children of the light and children of the day. You hear it also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which I'll read to you. Paul says, um, Therefore do not become partners with those those sons of disobedience. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's a sobering call, isn't it? Thinking about those things done in darkness, those things... Um, what a way to describe sinful acts. Um, acts that we are called to shun and turn away from as Christian followers of Jesus Christ. And yet even in his command, even in the command of Paul to turn away from the acts of darkness, what he's doing is he's imputing to those first Christians and to us today as we read it, the truth that we are light in Christ. That Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has shown in this dark world, just as it says in John's Gospel, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light of Christ, the light of the world, (coughs) shines into our hearts, exposing them for what they are, but it's a gentle exposure. Because he who sees and knows the thoughts and intentions of our hearts is gracious to us, even in that. He is gracious to us, and the light shines into our dark hearts, bringing us out into the light and calling us children of the light before all of our deeds are light and good. Do you see that? He's calling them children of the light and he's saying, you're doing dark things, but you're children of the light. Come into the light. And that's what this call to repentance is like for us as Christians. We are children of the light, even though at times the darkness overcomes us and we, um, we find ourselves 
tempted by the darkness, doing things um, of the night, yet still in Christ, through faith in him, we are children of the light. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And the second coming of Jesus is um, likened in this particular hymn um, to the sunrise. It's so dark out these days that I'm definitely awake when the sun rises. I'm not a morning person, but even at 6.30, I'm up and about, and I'm able to see the sunrise. My apartment is situated in such a way that I can just... I. That I can't see it set from my big windows, but I can see the sunrise up over the hill. And it's such a hopeful thing. It's so depressing waking up in darkness. Believe me, I have to bring the coffee into bed with me to be able to get out of the bed in the dark. <laughs> it's so pitiful. I'm so puny. But the sunrise, sunrise, seeing the sun rise up over the Junior League building, over the clouds, seeing the sun shine and um, get full up in the sky. Even just the streaks of light across the sky bring me hope in the midst of those dark um, mornings. So waken for us, wakened, wakened by the solemn warning, cast off the works of darkness. From earth's bondage let us rise. Christ our sun, all sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning sky. Christ our sun, all sloth dispelling. There's this um, line from these verses from Isaiah chapter 60 that talk about this light. How, Je- how It foretells how Jesus the light will come and how he will transform us into children of the light. It's a promise that the people of Israel would be people of light even though they've known great darkness. Does someone want to read this passage from Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3? Anyone who can see it? Go, go ahead, Liz. Arise, shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your light. We have hope in his coming. He will transform us from being um, ones who do actions of darkness to being ones who are children of the light and to being a people of light. Um, And other people will be drawn to that light, um, drawn to our good works, um, especially when we don't know it and aren't aware of it. And there they will see Jesus Christ in all of his glory as the Son of God. This... um, in the verse, remember, he's described as being the light. He's also described as being the lamb. We're going to see this in the next verse. The next day, John, this is in Jesus' gospel, and it's John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is described as the lamb who was slain. Jesus is both the atoning sacrifice and the one who offers it. He is the great high priest who enters into the heavenly places in order to atone for the guilt of his people. And I'm flipping back because in Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, and this is the promise for us as we await Jesus' second coming, that we who see him and believe in him in this life, who call him Lord, at his second coming, we will be for, we are forgiven and we will be exonerated. There will be no judgment for us, no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. 
but we will be there with Jesus. We will be gathered into the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city that descends to earth. And what John sees about the New Jerusalem is that there's no sun in that place, no sun or moon, no heavenly body, shining light for them to see by, because the Lamb himself will be there. Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain for us, for our sins, is a bright and shining light, bringing hope for us sinners and hope for a broken and fallen world. And so we will there worship him eternally in the light. He is the light of the world. He is the light of the new Jerusalem. And so um, this next verse, we have forgiveness now, as I've just said. Lo, the land so long expected comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow one and all to be forgiven. We haste now on our knees to be forgiven. Pardon, forgiveness, and freedom, eternal life are all offered to us in Jesus Christ. And so we come. There is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood to be received by faith from Romans 3. And then in this promise, um, as we repent, as we fall on our knees, as we draw near to God, he is faithful to draw near to us. Um, in these words from James' epistle, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Now. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And here's the promise. It it feels really depressing, all this doom and gloom. The promise is, he will exalt you. Even as Jesus is exalted as Lord and King over all, we too with him will be raised up. And this is this promise that as we walk the Christian life, in faith in Jesus Christ in this life, then when next he comes with glory and the world is wrapped in fear, may he with his mercy shield us and with words of love draw near. Jesus speaks words of love over us. He shields us with his mercy on that great and terrible judgment day. What that means is that we can live this life without fear of death, without fear of shame, without fear of condemnation, because God's mercy has been extended to us in Jesus Christ. So with the words of Paul, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God in this life and in the next. Um, As it says in Psalm 103, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The Lord has mercy on us. Thank thank goodness. And we can, in thanksgiving, then turn to him in praise. And that's why this hymn, like so many great hymns, has its last verse as a doxology. A doxology, anybody know what a doxology is? We use it's a special, we use it within liturgical terms, and it basically means glory. Uh, Doxa is the word for glory in Greek. It's an ology, you know, ology is always study of. Well, this is 
a study of God's glory, a proclamation of God's glory. And doxology is when we sing them or say them in church. They're usually alluding to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this doxology is particularly beautiful. This last verse is a verse of just complete praise and adoration. Glory, honor, glory, might, and blessing to the Father and the Son with the everlasting Spirit while unending ages run. We are saved from sin, saved from death, saved from hell, saved for worship. We will worship the Lamb eternally in the heavenly city when the heavenly city descends to earth. And so we can look forward to hope, in hope to Christ's second coming because we know that we will be with him eternally there. This song just gets us right to it, doesn't it? It lays it out for us. And it brings us on our knees in humility and repentance. And then it turns us around, raises us up, raises us up to sing praise to God, the Father, Son, and Holy, Holy Spirit. Any questions about this, about the song? Any pushback? I love pushback. Deborah, what are you talking about? <laughs> Any thoughts you want to share with others? It is really exciting. I know. That's the thing. You think about doom and gloom with Judgment Day. And when you read in Scripture, it does feel like there's a lot of doom and gloom. Reading a lot of Revelation will bring that on. Or the little apocalypses in the Gospels when Jesus is talking about his second coming. feels very weighty. feels like there will be a lot of suffering and trial. But the, the, the truth is for us Christians, we know that as we put our trust in him, we will be shielded, saved restored and preserved for this eternal worship that we'll bring. Anything else? Deborah, yeah, I have Alan, to ask. Please. As you look east in the morning, yes. can you ever imagine? Imagine him coming? Oh, absolutely. You know, I um, there's a phrase, and I always forget if it's Hebrew or Aramaic, and if I was better, if I was better Steadier, I would know, so I'm sorry. Off the top of my head, I can say it, but don't quote me on it. Maranatha, I do believe it's Aramaic. And the first church, the first Christian church in their worship, they would say Maranatha. And there was, in the 70s, there was this group of musicians that were in this communal living situation near the seminary where my parents attended. They were total hippies in the 70s. Christians, and actually the song that we sung today for the presentation of the offering I want to walk as a child of the light. I want to walk with Jesus. Am I getting it right? I'm probably misquoting it. That song was, was created by that community. And so I used to hear that song when I was a very small child. So I get I get the gloves whenever I hear it sung in church because it's so beautiful. It is um, so true that Christ in all his righteousness dispels all the darkness of this world. And I need to hear that. I need to hear that he dispels the darkness in my heart. I need to hear that he dispelled the darkness of the world. And so in moments in my life and in the life of, um, of our world outside, whenever there's trouble or trial, um, whenever I've watched the news too much, which is probably terrible, but I kind of avoid doing it. But I'll never forget at, on 9-11, I was living in Connecticut, and I was there. I was about to move into New York City. I was supposed to move into New York City on 9-15, 
2001 uh, to begin my acting career. Of course, I didn't have an acting career. It didn't last very long. It lasted about two years. But I was the plan was for me to move in, and my new roommate, she called me, and she said, no, really, you don't want to come here. It's not good. I, but I said, no, I feel called to New York. And I came in, moved into the city on 9-20-2001. Um, but in that day, I was in Connecticut. It was a Tuesday. And um, I was there in Connecticut, and the news was on. And we knew that something horrible was happening just about an hour away in New York City. And um, there was a regular worship service at my dad's church. My dad's also a minister. There was a healing prayer service that Sunday morning. And I just remember um, praying with my mother, praying with my father. My father had gone over to lead worship. But praying upon seeing these horrible world events, seeing this destruction, seeing the darkness in the world, my prayer was Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, have mercy. Come in mercy and end the suffering and sorrow in the world. And I think that's a great prayer to pray looking at the news and seeing or hearing of another beheading of a Christian in the world, the response is Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, dispel all the darkness in the world, dispel all the darkness in my heart. Come, O sun, and rise upon us. So, yeah, I do. Thank you, God. Any other questions or thoughts or observations? Lord Jesus, thank you um, that you are the sun and you will rise. And so when the night seems darkest, when we feel as though the gloom is surrounding us, when we feel as though we've done it again, we've done another dark deed, um, remind us of the light of your love upon us, the light of your saving love. Um, remind us that we are children of the light and that we are shielded by you from all judgment in the next life. And so we ask, Lord, preserve us. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come back to your people who are waiting and longing for your presence. Come and redeem us from this dark world. Come and put an end to the suffering and evil in our world. We ask this for your glory's sake and for our benefit eternally. In Jesus' name, amen.